Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. Excited to be here this morning and finish off our Nehemiah series called The Good Work. I want to thank Life Church for, for giving us a lot of material for Instagram stuff and, and different things. I just love what they do, and uh, it's been so helpful. So I hope you've enjoyed some of that material. Um, and we've been talking about this man called Nehemiah. Nehemiah, um, I was actually able to church who had been uh, uh, building a brand new building for their church, and they actually called their building project the Nehemiah Project. Uh, and so it's just amazing how this ordinary person called Nehemiah done an extraordinary thing. Um, and one thing I believe that Nehemiah realized was that he wasn't created by accident. He wasn't created just to exist. He wasn't created with no gifts or talents. I believe that Nehemiah realized that he was created for purpose, that he wasn't a mistake. And guess what? So are you. So is every person in this room and every person watching online, you were created for purpose. God is not surprised by your weaknesses. He's not surprised by your talents. And He wants you to use those things to build what He's doing on the earth. Can you receive that this morning or tonight or whenever you're listening He's given you desires like He gave Nehemiah desires. Understand this, Nehemiah didn't have the desire to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem initially, or probably for the early parts of his life, and maybe you don't have a desire right now to really do much. There's nothing really stands out, and that's okay. But there may come a day where you have a conversation where everything changes. And I want you to to receive permission from God and the Holy Spirit to dream. I want you to receive permission through this whole series to actually do something about some things that maybe you feel in your heart from God that are wrong. And I need you to give yourself permission to to allow yourself to believe that you actually have something of worth to give and to offer. Maybe something beyond which is normal to you right now. Maybe it's a skill that you don't possess or haven't developed right now. That's okay. But it doesn't mean you won't get there. It doesn't mean it won't happen. It just means you're in process. Turn to your neighbor, turn to somebody online and say, I'm in process. I'm in process. See, Nehemiah was not a prophet, he was not a king. He, he was not a builder. He was not a constructural engineer. He didn't go to university to study engineering of any kind. He was just an ordinary person like you and like me. But yet he rebuilt a wall without preparation, without the, the equipment that maybe the average builder in those times would have had. He didn't even have the right employment strategy or the employees. He actually worked with people from the perfume shop. Any ladies in here ever been to the perfume shop? I don't really know what's in there, but I know that it's probably perfume because it's called the perfume shop. Very smart, very smart name that. Um, 
And so it's the likes of those people who specialize in, in, in smells and perfumes. They were the ones who ended up on the scene of a building site, probably a little bit disorientated, really not knowing how to use the equipment that was there, that was brought, how to saw, you know, they maybe didn't know really where do we go from here, but they still built the wall. And maybe you're finding yourself in a situation, maybe you're a parent, you never had a child before, how do you do this? I've never done this before. How, how has this even, I, I haven't lived life, I, I don't want to ever been in a situation where you find yourself in this kind of place, I, I, like I haven't been on the earth before, this is my first time, you only get one chance to do it, I've never experienced this scenario, but I, I'm cornered, I have to do it anyhow. Well, Nehemiah in some ways, that's exactly what he was doing. And so decades passed, so the wall had fallen, and decades had passed, and then one of Nehemiah's brothers came and told him this news that, that these people had returned. And he realized at the, first, at the first point of hearing that conversation, he realized God's people, his people were vulnerable. They had returned back home, the walls had fallen, and something inside of him rose up. Passion rose up. And I love this, that 12 times within the book of Nehemiah, it says that Nehemiah done one core, uh, obviously a core value of his was he prayed time and time and time and time and time again. So it wasn't like um, he was trying to strategically get God to move. It wasn't like he was trying to artificially create something or, or be someone. It was just, this is how he lived. Prayer was central. Prayer was central to how he moved. Prayer was central. I don't, I don't know about you, but I've realized more and more as I, I go on, the power of prayer. When I'm offended, pray. When I'm unsure what to do, Phil, pray. When I'm overwhelmed and the waves seem impossible to overcome, Phil, pray. And I've realized that sometimes I've left that to the last resort, and it's caused me a lot of anxiety, pain, fear that I didn't have to endure if I just prayed. And sometimes the beauty about prayer is that sometimes God will lead you, and He will give you a sense, He will speak to you in such a way that's so simple, and all you have to do is obey, and you don't necessarily have to understand. And I, breathe, I, I believe this is what happened to Nehemiah. He, he, something, a thought, a belief to rebuild the wall probably seemed impossible in his natural mind, but he says, you know what, I, I, I believe, I've prayed about this, my, heart, my, my heart's motive is, is pure, I'm going to start knocking on the door to see what doors God opens, I'm going to ask the king for his approval, for his protection, and guess what, he said yes. He asked his, his king, his boss, for a break from work. And he also asked him to provide finances and to, and to provide materials so he could rebuild the wall. It was a big ask. I dare you to go on Monday morning and ask your boss, hey, can I have a lot of money from the business? Can I have a lot of materials? I want to go and do this project over here. What do you think? What's your chances? You know God's hands upon something when the door flings wide open and favors. There is the same thing when we came into this building. We didn't start uh, the, our church with some kind of like build up. I don't know if this is wise or not, but I remember just praying, God, if you want us to do this, I'm not doing set up breakdown. <laughs> I'd done that the previous seven years. God, we're going to need a building. So in the same way, Nehemiah went and asked God, we're going to need someone to provide materials. He was bold. He was brash because he knew that if we're going to do this, we're going to have to be bold. We can't be intimidated by big dreams. It this is what I believe happened. He realized if, if, if God doesn't move, this will not happen. 
It's in, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I knew that, listen, if we don't get a building, this will not happen. And straight away, a door opened for us. We're now in the building. We started with a building. Usually, the kind of way of doing things would be you kind of rent a place out, you know, move slowly. I'm not saying that's wrong. But, but if God opens a door, if God's favor is on it, if God is moving in it, then it's time to go. We're not relying. It's, it's a great way to start knowing that it's beyond your strength. It's a great way to start anything knowing that God is in it. And, and if, if God has started with it, and, and you started in a place of faith, it's a lot easier to maintain rather than starting something in the flesh with just a human idea. It's a, it, it's, it's a, it's a, I want to say a heck of a lot easier. Is that okay? Um, it's a heck of a lot easier to endure the hard times when you know God has been in it from the start. Because when impo- where do we get discouraged with life when it seems impossible? When everything's coming against us? And if you didn't start with God when it was coming against you, well, then all you've got is your own opinion and your own strength and your own might. But our fight isn't against flesh and blood. It isn't with flesh and blood. It isn't with our strength and with our might. The Bible says that our, 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 our fight is against a spiritual warfare. Even though that person at work, you hate them, or you have feelings of hate, should I say, your fight isn't against them. There's something deeper going on. There's something beyond. Listen, if, if we have to rely on, on somebody being nice to us for us to love them, we're not going to love very many people. You can't actually love somebody if you need them to like you first. Can I get an amen? So the, today's message is called Shut the Door on Distractions. Let's pray. God, I just thank you um, that, you, God, you are our true focus, that when we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, then somehow we become overcomers. Then somehow the fear of man dies. Then somehow we keep our path straight and narrow. Somehow we receive power from on high that allows us to change the world around us by your grace. In Jesus' name, I pray you move. Everyone said... Amen. See, often as the work goes down, what happens? Opposition rises up. If you're about to do anything that is good, I mean godly good, on the earth today, expect opposition. Expect resistance. And watch this. And it mightn't just come from the, what you perceive as an enemy, it could come from your friends. It could even come from your family. You remember Joseph? And so there's just something going on in the spiritual. Sometimes you've heard it said, like crabs. Have you ever seen crabs in a bucket? When one tries to get out, what happens? The rest of them try to pull him back or her back or because they don't want him getting ahead. And sometimes, as humans, we can be like that with our friends. If they're doing well, it makes us feel insecure, like, oh, in comparison, you're doing better than me, come back down. And sometimes it's subconscious, so we've got to be aware. But, but what we got to know is that when we go to rise above and, and step out of normal and step out of safe, expect resistance. Don't be surprised. 
So here we have it in Nehemiah 6, it says, Sambalat Tobai and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of her enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now let's start with this. Never go to a place called Ono. <laughs> That's never going to be a good place to go and visit Ono. What's just happened? But it's interesting, they're doing well. Against all odds, the, the wall is built. The people who, who are fearful, jealous, worried, are, are starting to really come closer because they're realizing that what, what's going to happen. They're, they're rising up. This is out of the comfort zone. It's the same thing that happens when you start to do something out of the normal that people criticize initially, but it starts to work. They, they, you, know, you know what happens? They, sometimes they don't get more silent. Sometimes they don't shy away. Sometimes some people who are super jealous will rise up because there's something inside of them that, that's full of fear. And they actually approach, they start sending these letters and start to approach Nehemiah, like get in his face while he's focused on, on the job at hand. I remember playing a, a game of football and started to learn very early on that, you know, it's not all fair on the pitch. <laughs> I remember as a 16-year-old, I was playing against uh, a guy who, I'll not name him, um, but, but he was an old-timer, and he had once played for the team I was playing for, and he had went on to another team, and I was about 16 playing at the top league, and all of a sudden I'm going up for a corner, and he's grabbing me, like, around here. And I'm like, refer like, that's not fair. Referee? <laughs> like, he, he, he's grabbing me, like, pulling me back from heading the ball. I'm like, this is completely unfair. And, and nothing was done. Nothing happened. And I quickly realized that this is how we play now. This is the game we're in. And then I remember, fast forward a few years, uh, and all of a sudden, um, I was playing this game. And this, this guy, this kind of smaller, kind of like a Rockweiler type player, like a Jack Russell, if I was explaining it in dog terms, kept biting at my heels. And, and it was kind of, it was getting a bit weird because I would run. What are you? Stop following me! Like, and I, I would be running, and he would go everywhere I would go, and I'm like, "Are you? Have you lost the plot? Like, are you okay?" And he, he would just give me this blank look, like, "Huh?" I quickly realized that the, the, the manager had told him to do this thing called man marking, which means that we're, they've, they've literally told this guy just whatever he goes, go with him. And I was like, right, well, I'll take that as a compliment, but it started to get a bit annoying because he was literally kicking my heels. And it, it was actually get, becoming really unfair where he was, like, he actually damaged my ankle. He put a stud in my ankle, and, and I was way late. And it got to the stage where I got so distracted from the game that I actually got up and maybe done something wrong. <laughs> Might have lifted my hand a little bit and maybe a wee nudge. And unfortunately, I had to leave the pitch. Can we be, can we be honest? 
in church today. It was a, it was a lesson. It was a real emotion. It, it seemed unjust to me, but I got caught up and I got distracted. And so I left my team in a position of vulnerability and weakness because I got distracted. How often in life do we fall for the ploy of the enemy? And the ploy of the enemy is, is if he can't destroy you, he will distract you. The manager and you, if we can distract him, we can't take him off the pitch. But, but if we can't take him off, let's distract him from the game. From building with his team to overcome. See, this is what these messages were being sent to Nehemiah for, I believe. They, weren't, they realized, whoa, the wall's going up, they're doing well, everything's working out. But they, they sent a messenger to entice reaction. They sent a messenger to entice a response to distract. If the devil can't destroy you, he will distract you. And listen, often it's when things are going well. Often you're more vulnerable. And what can happen in our spirit is when we're doing well, we can get overconfident. We can nearly get a little bit entitled. Like, look at me now. I am someone. Look at what we've just done. And this is something that Nehemiah had to look out for. See, this is what I've learned and as I've been around other leaders one of the hardest things, depending on your personality as well, can sometimes not being able to say no. Somebody said it this way, that you don't build your life with yeses, but you build it with noes. And, and so, so, sometimes if we're worried about what people think about us, yes, I'll do that. And, and not even yes, I'm, well, maybe I'm... Are you coming out tonight? Well, um, I'll let you know. Well, that's a, that's a no. You know, you know that person where they're like, they can't give you a straight answer, but you know when it's kind of in between it that you're not coming. Oh, I'll see. I'll let you know. If I, sure, I'll, we'll see what happens. You're not coming. Just tell me no. Why? Because we're afraid of letting someone down, but maybe some of the best skills some of us in here and online can develop is the ability just to say No. No, no, I'm not, I'm not coming. What, what, what if I said that no is a complete sentence? So, we're going to practice right now. I'm going to ask you a question. We're just going to say, listen, this is how you say no. 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 Nope. No, I'm not coming. Don't even have to say sorry. No, no, it's not for me. No. 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 Nope. Nope. So let's go. So, are you going to buy it? No. Are you going to sign up? No. No offense. It's not personal. Just no. Um, Are you going to go out tonight? No. Do you want this job? No. Do you want to be my friend? Nope. Whoa, that was heavy. <laughs> See, what, what if we learn just to say no because I'm focused, I've got a plan, 
I know you're doing all this cool stuff around there, but, I, but I'm involved in something, and it involves sacrifice. And unless I stay focused on what I'm building and what God's called me to, I will negate and even compromise what God has called me to do. No is a complete sentence. Jesus had to say no time and time again to the crowd. Why? So that he could be with his Father. He, he wasn't, his foundations weren't built upon the approval of man and the praise of man. And that's why when he was in the desert and he was tempted to get, to get more pop, popularity, he said, what did he say? No. I, I'm not, that's not what I live for. I'm not living for what people think. I'm not living. Ultimately, I'm living for my Father and what He has called me to do on the earth. And so when you come to try and distract me in the desert, to try and, because you know we're doing, we're doing big things, because you know we're doing, Jesus was about to go into His public ministry before the desert, and so that's right at the tipping point where things are about to unlock the potential that He had on the earth. The enemy knew the, the, the warfare and the spiritual. It, it was well aware. And so when did it attack? Right before the breakthrough. What if right now in your individual life, you're going through some stuff and, and things have been getting better and then all of a sudden, resistance, negativity, gossip, people assuming wrongly of you, discouragement. And I'm telling you, it always happens right before the breakthrough. I know in my own personal life, I was in ministry and just a few years ago, and things were going so well. Opportunities were starting to open. Doors were open like I, I'd never experienced before. And I'd waited years for it. Things were starting to flourish. And then all of a sudden, rumor, assumption, people, distractions, and I, to be honest, I fell into maybe some of them, and some of them not. The lessons were learned, but I'm telling you, it was so clear to me that it happened at just the point where we were about to break through. And instead of Nehemiah, like Nehemiah said, no, maybe there were some things I should have said no to that I said, yes, okay, let me hear. And so no is the first is a full sentence. If you're always available to everyone, eventually you won't be available to anyone. Why? Because you'll burn out. People-pleasing burns you out. People-pleasing wears you thin. It actually doesn't just wear you thin. It causes you to become ineffective. It causes you to lose your joy. It causes you to do things you don't want to do. And be someone that you don't want to be, and it's not who you are. The culture is trying to cultivate a, a, a culture of yes people, where if you don't wear the right clothes, if you don't look the right way, if you don't have the right makeup on or the right car, whatever it is, then who are you? It's a lie. And the answer is no. I don't want to be like that. That's not who I am. Craig Rossiel says this, rumors are carried by haters, spread by fools, and believed by idiots. That's pretty to the point, eh? Rumors are carried by haters, they're spread by fools, and they're believed by idiots. So you got to ask the question, who are you talking to and who is saying what? 
Who's that person in your life that's always spreading the rumors? Maybe it's time to say, no, I don't want to hear it because I'm on a straight path. That's a distraction. I don't want to give my time. I don't even want to accept any of those thoughts or ideas about someone when it's third-hand information, when it's assumption. Because you know what assumption does? It makes a, I'll not go there. It says in Nehemiah 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, the fifth time Sambalat's servant came with an open letter. So the fifth time, so they're really trying because they realize there's a threat. They realize the wall is up. There's power. This thing is about to break through. And the resistance comes with another letter in hand. This is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations. And Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that is why you're building a wall. See, these are the enemies. These are the jealous people. These are the people who don't, aren't comfortable with th- th- this nation rising back to where it was. They don't want recovery. According to his report, you plan to be their king. They tried to make Nehemiah look like it was all about himself. They tried to make Nehemiah look entitled. They tried to make Nehemiah something that he wasn't. See, don't let the whispers of people distract you from the work of God. Don't let the whispers of people distract you from the work of God. Don't, don't worry about what people say about you. Worry about what's true about you. Because There's two sides of this. Sometimes if somebody does come and maybe question your motives, it's not always wrong. It's not wrong at all to ask, well, maybe I am. Maybe there's a part of me needs to be held accountable. Maybe there's a part of me that is wrong. That's good. But don't worry about what people think is true, worry about what is true. Because what is true is what matters. And yes, we all have blind spots, and yes, we all should take, even your enemies can help you learn some things about you. But the most important thing is, what is true about you? Where is your heart? What did you do? That's more important than anything. Nehemiah goes on and says, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making the whole thing up. So Nehemiah knew, and he basically said, no, that's not true. And I'm not going to discuss it further. I'm not going to get into debate whether you think I'm right or wrong. I'm just going to call it like it is and how I see it. Because why? I have more important things to be getting on with instead of debating what you think about me. Because I'm here, to, I've got people that love me and are for me and they give me honest feedback and, and I trust them, but I don't need someone who I don't know because religious spirits always come from afar. Judgmental spirits, that, the problem with a religious spirit is a religious spirit doesn't know your heart. The, the, you can't trust a religious spirit because there's always something else going on in the background of their heart, often jealousy, often pride, often they feel threatened. But, but if somebody's giving you feedback and you know they've invested in you and you know they love you and you know that um, um, they want the best for you, well, then you can take that and you can work on whatever that is. But he's saying, no, there's no truth in any part. Verses 9, they were trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued to work with even greater determination. 
For any breakthrough in your life, expect resistance, expect distractions. What I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do as a church here is to prepare you for impact. When, the first, when you go out to sea and the first wave crashes, don't be surprised. Because when you're going to sea, you know and understand there's waves. Often the thing that discourages us as people, if we're honest, is expectation. You didn't expect someone to hurt you. And so when they did, you felt so disappointed. And the level of your disappointment often is equivalent to the level of what you would call a wound in your heart. But if you go around expecting and understanding that people are sinners, even in church, have you realized that? Only because they come through the doors of the church doesn't mean they've got, they don't have issues. Only because they go to church doesn't mean you should date them. Woo-hoo. I'm serious. <laughs> Only because they went to church two weeks doesn't mean it's, oh, green light, let's go. They're Christian, they're a fully-fledged follower of Christ. No, they're not. Only because you're in a car garage doesn't make you a car. <laughs> right, you? Might be a scooter. Electric one. Might have no engine. Might be in the repair shop. People come in here, they're in the repair shop. They're not ready to go on a journey with anyone. So let's, let's be wise. And so it goes on to say in verse 10 to 13, later I went to visit Shem, we're going to call him Shem, son of Del and grandson of Meh, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone be, now watch this, so there's danger and Nehemiah's response, but I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? So right there, what Nehemiah is saying is, listen, I'm still committed. I've still put my life on the line. I'm still willing to sacrifice. I'm no better than anyone else here. I ha- in other words, I'm, I, I'm not entitled to, to play it safe. Jesus was, di- didn't walk a life where he, he wasn't going to stay away from danger he actually faced danger. And he set us free from sin through walking through the fear, through walking through the danger, through walking through death. He said, your enemies are coming to kill you tonight, but I replied, but should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? He's not trying to hold on to his life. He's laying it on the line. No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he uttered this prophecy, watch this, against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. See, not everyone with you is for you. Not everyone in your sphere of influence has your best interests at heart. But the most powerful thing that Nehemiah had done here was he didn't let his heart become entitled. He, he didn't, it wasn't about his reputation. He still had a posture of laying down his life. He still had a posture of, of sacrifice. He still had a posture of risk-taking and faith in God over faith in man. But they were tempting him to come into a place of comfort, into a place of covering, and it was a trap. 
You see, the journey that you're on, the trap is actually sometimes the most comfortable, the easy thing to do. The short-term win over the long-term goal. It would have taken him away from finishing the job at hand, from making a difference in his generation, in his family, in his friendship circle. An eternal difference can sometimes be the difference of your comfort and your conformity or your sacrifice that saves. Right now, that's a position we're in. People have been online, lying up at home, and it's comfortable. It's easy in some ways, but you're not very alive. What's, are you building still? Are, are you witnessing still? Are you sharing still? Well, well, do people even need my gifts anymore? You might say, or, am I even that valuable? You start, you're starting to believe the lie, the distraction of the enemy. And it goes on to say in, in Nehemiah 6, or sorry, at the start of this chapter, watch what it says. It says, so I replied to this message, this message to them, I am engaged, so they're, they're sending all these messages to Nehemiah, I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. So you can just picture Nehemiah, he's, getting the, he's in the middle of building the wall, putting the bricks on the top layer, it nearly, nearly finished, they just need to put the gates in, and we have... We have these guys coming, and hey, hey, Nehemiah, we've got another letter, another message from these guys, Geshem and whoever, and they're, they're handing to, he's reading it, and you can just see him replying here as he's on, he's up the ladder in the middle of work, I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come, I can't come down, I'm busy, I'm, I don't have time for these games, why should I stop working to come and meet with you? What's so important? I gave up my job. I've sacrificed. We had to walk a thousand miles across the deserts. I put my life on the line and we're nearly finished. Why would I get distracted now? You see, Nehemiah was at the right place at the right time. He remembered what God had done. He remembered that the favor was upon him. He had his eyes on the prize. His heart was pure. His soul was surrendered to building what God had called him to build. You see, he, he, he had dealt with himself in a way where he realized, I'm not here to be popular. I, I'm not up this ladder and putting bricks on this wall to impress a person or, or a bunch of people in a foreign land or people watching me online that's not why I started, and that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to be entitled and to be a king, even though the people are, are, are they're questioning my motives. They think I'm just trying to be popular. But when it came down to it, he said, no, I'm not coming down. I, I, I'm, I'm doing a great work. It's not just an average work. It's a, it's a great work. It's a work that changes generations. It's a work that changes um, the next generation come through. It's a work that will change heaven. It's a work that God sees and is in and on. 
this is not just an hour. When I think about this in practical terms today, I think about a mother. And she's got young children and she's up late at night and, and she's maybe frustrated and there's insecurities rising to the surface. And, and she's seeing friends who maybe don't have kids or the kids have left home and, and they're out and they're gallivanting. They're doing all these things that she can't do. And the crowd would tell her to, to come down from the wall. Stop building those bricks for that next generation, for that two, three-year-old. Come on, there's better things that we can do. But she's saying, no, I can't come down because I'm a part of a great work. I'm too committed. I've sacrificed too much. I've came too far. Or maybe that, that, that teacher at school and I'm trying to get the kids back in. It's been a frustrating season and there's, there's been times you want to give up and it's been chaos and disorder and there's change and it's hard to follow. And, but you, you remember why you first got into it in the first place. And the enemy said, I'll go, go get an easier job. Get comfortable again. Stop sacrificing and giving your life to this. But you remember, wait, I'm a part of a great work and making a difference in society and being a voice, a voice of Jesus in the classroom, a voice of Jesus in the staff room. I'm a part of a great work, so I'm not coming down. Or maybe you feel called to a certain ministry, you feel called to even, even church. Or maybe helping the vulnerable of society. Or maybe outreach work and you're starting to face resistance and, and maybe people are starting to speak bad of you. You've heard some rumors. And it's so easy to bite that apple. It's so easy. It's so tempting to get comfortable and say, listen, this is too much. The weight's too heavy. But, God. but then you remember that Jesus said to cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And if you can do that and you can learn that rhythm of prayer like Nehemiah had, you can stay on the wall because the weight is cast off and you can stay focused on that, that perfecter of your faith, Jesus. Because what I'm a part of isn't just about me. It's about the generation to come. It's about heaven and hell. It's about true life to be found in Christ and unless somebody gets up the ladder and starts building the wall unless some ordinary people begin to step up and stop pleasing people and start learning to say no and start learning to pray and, and, and find ourselves on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ once we start to get there then what happens is walls are rebuilt lives are changed people are reached and heaven begins to possess earth. Can I get an amen? 52 days it took for Nehemiah and ordinary people to rebuild the walls. Listen, as far as the church is concerned, this is what I, I, I sense is about to happen. I sense that there's a window of opportunity for us. Just right now, just in this, and, and unfortunately with a window of opportunity, if you can picture, if there's a boat about to leave the dock, and this is the dock, well, if I'm late to the dock, the boat's left. My intentions can be great. I can have the best thoughts and best prayers, but if I don't physically get myself to the dock at the right time, just miss the chance. 
you just miss the opportunity. It's, it's, it's simple. I feel there's an opportunity now for us as a church, as a community to sow seeds. Listen, God is the grower. God will determine what that seed grows into. But as people, we're called to sow and to water. God's the grower. And so I'm believing in this next season, we're going to sow. And I'm hoping we're going to be able to say no to some things that make us comfortable and say, so we can say yes to faith over fear. And we can say yes to conversations with people that we've been around our whole life. And we're going to invite them into relationship with an all-powerful, all-knowing God who saved them. And all they have to do is accept the free gift of faith, free gift of life. But until a church comes to the dock, jumps on the boat, and does the work, nothing, we can't expect a harvest. So I'm praying and I'm believing that we're not going to sit comfortable any longer. We've had a rest season, we've, we've had a resetting season, but it's now time to go. It's now time to sow. It's now time to invest our resources, ourselves, our prayers, our steps, our movements to sow in the kingdom. And I promise you this, I believe this with all my heart, if we do it, you will see a harvest with people. But I'm telling you, God works with sowing and reaping. When you sow, he will, he will, you will reap in your own life. And you won't have an entitled spirit because when you're blessed, you will bless others. So come on, is anyone on board with coming alive? Is anyone on board with getting unstuck? And let's start to plow. Let's start to prepare. Let's expect big things, not on our own might. Let's start to walk the, th- the thousand mile journey that Nehemiah had done to get to the wall to start to rebuild and it was desolate and it was nothing but we know in our hearts we see it in our eyes we, we just, we've got spiritual eyes to see that God's about to move but it comes from prayer it comes from presence we're not just doing it on outward form we're going to be people like Nehemiah who pray all the time that seek God's face all the time And listen, we're going to create space for that. But unless we do the work, it's just words. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others You can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.